so possessed that they said they couldn't even keep him chained. He would break through the chains. So all of a sudden he gets, he gets to the other side and someone is coming uh, for him. Well, everyone is watching. So Jesus interacts with this man. He realizes that it's, that it's a demon, and actually the demon calls himself legions, which means there are many. So they, the demons ask, can we go into the herd of the pigs that are close by? And Jesus allows that, sends them, and if you remember, the pigs run down a steep cliff and into uh, the sea and drown. Well, as a result of that, even though the man who they couldn't even hold still, he breaks the change, he is obviously changed. The, the, he has such a dramatic uh, change in his life, and yet they don't want Jesus. They actually come to Jesus and say, uh, would you please like, go somewhere else? We don't want you around here. So they decide to get back in the boat, and turn around and go back to where they had come from. So that's exactly what you like to do when you take a six-hour car ride, right? Get there, have a couple minutes, turn around and drive right back, right? So Jesus is back in the boat, heading back to the western side uh, because the people on the eastern side uh, didn't want him to be there. So now that sets up our story for today. Jairus meets Jesus when he is back. So what do we know about Jairus? Well, he's a Galilean, we know, because of the area for which Jesus is interacting with him. He's a leader in the synagogue. So he would be a leader of the synagogue of Capernaum. And some of you would recognize that as a place that Jesus often spent time uh, in his uh, early ministry. So the synagogue would have been the center uh, not only of their religious life, but would have been the center of their education, would have been the center of their government, would have been the center of their social activity. So really to say that Jairus was one of the most well-known people in his community is probably a correct way. In fact, I saw, read somebody said he was like being the mayor. Everyone knew him. Probably as a result, he was probably wealthy as well, uh, being in that position. So why does he come to Jesus? Well, Jairus has a problem that he can't solve. About, do we have problems that we can't solve on our own? He, his, his daughter was on the verge of death. And as you read further along, you find out her age. But uh, she, was, she was young, still in her youth. This was a problem that he did not ask for. He didn't sign up and say, oh, give me that one. It wasn't something that he wanted to be part of his life and he couldn't do anything about it. And in turn, even though he was at the top of the social pyramid, he had nothing that he could go to Jesus and say, 
hey, Jesus, I got a little deal for you here. If you will just heal my daughter, I'll do this for you. Jesus knew that he had nothing that he could give back to Jesus uh, that would equal what Jesus could do for him. So can't you imagine Jairus when Jesus then responds and says, okay, let's go. I will travel with you. Let's head to your house. Uh, he had to have been thrilled. Hey, Jesus is going to heal my daughter. I, I know it. However, somewhere in that journey, and the scriptures tell us that there were throngs of people, I always thought, have I ever been in a throng before? But anyway, you've been in groups of people. They said there was a group of people uh, following along the way. And so there was a delay in that journey. And I'm going to get back to that part of the story. I'm going to follow uh, Jairus and jump down as Mark read. While they're in that delay, word comes to him that his daughter has passed. His hope sinks. He's seen Jesus heal people that are sick, but she's not sick anymore. She's gone. So he thinks, oh man, if only we would have gotten there faster. But look what happens. It kind of turns on this. Jesus kind of takes the lead. Instead of Jairus asking Jesus to come to his house, Jesus says, hey, come, have faith. Some translations say, fear not, have faith, believe. So now... Jesus is convincing Jairus to have faith and to head to his house. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.18 actually says, We set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. What we see will last only a short time, but what we cannot see will last forever. Jairus could not see that, but he was willing to follow. So you'll notice that even though there was a huge group of people, Jesus didn't let that huge group of people follow. Maybe in the course of the idea that she had, had died, they figured, well, Jesus can't do anything now, and they left. But Jesus just brings Peter, James, John uh, with him as Jairus uh, goes to his house. So they get to the house. And Jesus tells the group there that she's just sleeping. Now, it's really customary that on death, a group of mourners will come to that house and will help them uh, express their sorrow. So there is crying and there is mourning uh, at this house. And Jesus says, hey, calm down. She's just sleeping. And I think it's interesting that scriptures say that they laughed at him and I, I kind of wonder about, like, can you imagine what that laugh is like? Yeah, like, really? She's, they, don't, they don't believe him at all, right? They, they are sure, no, we've been here the whole time, Jesus, and we just saw uh, what happened. Uh, 
So why would Jesus say we have a dead girl and yet Jesus says that she's just sleeping? Well, let's not forget that in God's eyes, our passing from this earth just opens our door into a new realm and we are just going to be with him. Or if their choice is going to be... Had somebody that you know that when they are asleep, we often use the, fir- the phrase, they're out of it, right? They are asleep. And I know there's all sorts of people that have thought of pranks of people when they're asleep, right? There's things that happen outside my house with little critters that I have no idea about while I'm asleep. I am, I am dead to this world. Well, in that case, she was just sleeping because she was going to uh, awaken. I think it was a symbolism for Jesus when he says she's sleeping uh, about that experience uh, and that even in our death, we will awaken uh, after that. But of course, the people have laughed at him, and so that gives him good reason to send them out. And who does he take in the room with him? He takes James, uh, Peter, and John and her parents. Just a small group of witnesses. He does want witnesses, just as scriptures say, two or three uh, are witnesses, but he does not want uh, to be uh, a big event, and he does not want the circus to follow her. So he brings a small group of people uh, inside that space. I wonder, too, who are those people in our lives who are telling us that God can't do it. Uh, Especially the ones who say it because, well, I've never seen it happen before, or uh, it's it's never been done before. Uh, But Jesus takes that group into the room. I don't know what her ailment was, but Jesus takes her hand with that touch and tells her, uh, daughter, get up. And look what's... Look at what, structures, what scriptures say. It wasn't a gradual, and now she's going to have to have a number of days to get, uh, to get back. It says, immediately she sat up and was healed. And we find, actually, that she starts walking around. So I don't know if her ailment had something to do uh, with her legs or her feet, but in this case, she got up and started acting what appears to be normal, and to the point that Jesus asked them to get her some food. And I think, that's often what I think about when I get up in the morning is, where's that bowl of cereal? So she needed that. So let's back up for a minute. Let's look at the other person. There was a woman in the crowd while they were making their journey to Jairus' house. What do we know about that woman? Well, once again, she is in that area, so we would assume that she's a Galilean. She's a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. So what does that mean for her? A woman who is bleeding is unclean in their culture. 
Someone who is unclean, if you remember, the lepers had to call unclean, 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 so that people could get away from them. So she was someone who was shunned, not for a week, not for a month, but for 12 years. She wouldn't have been able to, she wouldn't have been allowed to have, uh, she wouldn't have had children. She wouldn't have been allowed to do chores. She wouldn't have been allowed to go to family gatherings. She would have been on the outside all along. So we talked about Jairus, who is maybe the top of the social pyramid. I can't think of anyone who would feel like they were lower on the social pyramid. Everywhere she went, she knew that people would recognize her and would, would call her out and make her have to be somewhere else. And then on top of that, scriptures tell us that she had gone to many doctors. She'd gone to all the specialists. And she had spent all of her money. So she had nothing. So there's this large crowd of people She has a problem that she can't solve. She has a problem that she didn't ask for. And in her mind, she had no hope of solving that on her own. And she hears that Jesus is in the area. So she, gets, she comes up with a plan. I've seen that Jesus can heal if only I could get close enough to him. Oh, but wait. I can't be seen in public. There's going to be a lot of people there, and if anyone recognizes me, they're going to call me out. So it took, her, took courage from her. I don't know. It doesn't say. I'm guessing, you know, the cloak hood came up, the hoodie came up. And she tried to figure out, how do I get close enough? And she said, if only I could get to the back of him and touch his garment, I could be healed. So she goes for it. And Jesus is interacting with Jairus along the way, and all of a sudden, he stops and says, who touched me? Now, look at the disciples. The disciples go, right, Jesus, like you're being pressed and bumped and knocked by everybody in this whole crowd, and you just turned and said, who bumped me? And Jesus said, no, I know. Someone touched me and took power from me. She knows that she's been called out. However, what happened when she touched him? It doesn't say that she started the healing process. It says she was immediately healed. She knew she was healed. Jesus knew she was healed. And he calls her out. Why does he call her out? She comes to him, and it says, with fear and trembling. She's kind of scared right now. Uh-oh. I was just trying to sneak up on that get my healing and slip back home. But Jesus wanted to talk to her. Jesus wants a public confession. 
Jesus wants people to say, I was healed because of what you did, not because of what I did. It wasn't that she touched Jesus, it was that Jesus healed her. He wanted her to know that he approved of the healing. He wanted her to know that it was her faith that made her well. He wanted to commend her for her faith. He wanted that to be a lesson for those around. We already described that she had nothing that she had that she could offer Jesus. You would think that maybe Jairus would think he had something to offer, but she didn't and knew it. But that was okay for Jesus. Sorry, I got a little slow on my slides, I guess. So what are the lessons that we can learn? It doesn't matter who we are. We read the Romans passage. We're all sinners. None of us bring something that says, well, God's got to look up to me and help me out. No matter if we're at the top of the social, we're wealthy, everybody knows us and recognizes us, or we're at the bottom and we've spent every penny and everyone wants to stay clear of us. God is still the answer to those problems. We all, they had problems that they could not solve on their own, just like we do. They knew it was Jesus who could resolve their problems, and they both went to him. Neither of them had anything to offer except themselves, just like us. So then why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? Why did Jesus choose these two? You know, when we study the book of John, we realize that Jesus many, many times uh, tells his people that I have come to this earth to do the will of my Father. What I do, I do in obedience to my Father. And you think, wait a second, aren't you God? Aren't you coming to do your own will? And often he would remind them, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. And when he left his disciples, what did he tell his disciples? I am giving you that task of continuing to do in obedience to me. He didn't tell them, you know what, if you do the right things, I'll heal everything, everyone will be great, life will be perfect. In fact, we as Christians, we are here and asked to submit. We are asked to be servants. We are asked to suffer. We are asked to be persecuted. All of these things, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. What are we here for? We're here that our Father in heaven is glorified. Not so that we are glorified. Why did that happen to those two? So that Jesus was glorified. So that his Father was glorified in what he did in him. God's plan does not include a life that doesn't have any issues. 
When we come to him, we don't say, come and fix all the problems because that's why I want you as my savior. He comes and says, I'm the one who is to be glorified and here's the task that I have for you so that I will be glorified. All that happens to us is for his glory. And as we sang that song, uh, Sovereign Over Us, you'll see that message of why that is. God knows us. He knows that we don't have anything good in our self to offer him in return for his work. He knows that walking by faith doesn't come natural to us. He knows that there are a lot of people and circumstances around us that try and distract us from listening and from obeying him. But what does he want? Uh, He wants us to trust and to obey. We are to have faith. What is faith? Faith is the conviction that he can and a hope that he will. Uh, And also a belief that what God will do will bring himself glory. Glory. 